Welcome to Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast where we talk about all things from the solo years. And uh, of course, the Beatles come up, oh, every once in a while. And uh, we are really excited. We have a special episode tonight. Um, we, uh, as you know, um, we will be soon celebrating what would have been uh, John Lennon's 80th birthday. And since we are not going to be broadcasting on the very day, uh, this is going to be our tribute tonight. And we have a very, very special guest uh, who knew John and uh, was a friend. And I can't think of a better person uh, to be celebrating John's uh, birthday with tonight. Uh, so we will be introducing him in just a moment. Uh, before I do that, let me introduce uh, myself and my friends and co-hosts. I'm Kid O'Toole. I'm the author of Songs We Were Singing, Guided Tours to the Beatles' Lesser Known Tracks, uh, Michael Jackson FAQ, All That's Left to Know About the King of Pop, and you also may know me from Beatle Fan Magazine um, and uh, various uh, sites on the internet that I write for. Um, and so uh, below me here, unless uh, your screen is, uh, it, we're in different uh, order, sometimes uh, we <laughs> seem to be, so, <laughs> so whatever uh, order you're looking at. Um, he is uh, the host of a very popular channel on YouTube where he shares his adventures in Beatles and solo years collecting with a good dose of humor. Um, you know him on his channel as Mean Mr. Mayo, but around <laughs> here we call him Joe Mayo. So Joe, how you doing tonight? Doing great. I'm looking forward to this show uh, very much, Kit. Thank you very much for the introduction. Absolutely. I think we're all looking forward to this tonight. <laughs> and, uh, and over uh, over to uh, depending on how you're looking at the screen. We got a Brady Bunch thing going on here. Um, <laughs> over uh, over to my left, depending on how you're looking at it. Uh, he is the host of the very popular uh, podcast and now video cast, uh, Two Legs, which is a Paul McCartney centric uh, podcast along with Andy Nichols. And uh, he's had some terrific guests on and and you've just been, boy, been cranking out those shows lately, and they're all terrific. Uh, so uh, say hello to Mr. Tom Hanyadi. Hello, Tom. Hello, Kit. Hello, Joe. And special guest, Ken. Uh, it's good to see all you guys. And I can't <laughs> wait for tonight's great show. And uh, looking forward to it. 
Absolutely, I agree. And last but definitely not least, um, we have uh, someone who is very well known in the Beatles world. He is the longtime host of the syndicated radio program, Every Little Thing, as well as the co-host of the also popular podcast, uh, Things We Said Today. Um, you all know him. You all love him. Mr. Ken Michaels. Hello, Ken. Hi, Ken. Hi, everybody. I love the backdrop there. Yeah. I think I you're covering to... two people, though. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> but, uh... I know. I, I'm sorry. I had to do it, you know. <laughs> move, and... move over here and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hard to chair <laughs> over a little bit. Wanna... You can make it look like you're leaning up against the <laughs> screen. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Take a little rest. Yeah. And... <laughs> Hopefully there's a nice breeze over there too. Yeah, too very you know? nice. Very yep, yep, absolutely. It's it's a lovely day. And, and just and, so just so you know, in case you haven't noticed, we have the same wardrobe here. Yes, we yeah. do. Oh, twinsies. Yes. And, <laughs> <laughs> we do. So now Hirschfeld. That's right. Yep. That's right. Oh yeah, we had had to wear it for tonight. Like two mm -hmm. little schoolgirls over there, aren't you? <laughs> calling up, saying, "What are you wearing today?" <laughs> I'm not leaving this house until he picks up. That's right. Very nice joke. <laughs> Very good. Very good. And uh, I am absolutely honored uh, to introduce our very, very special guest tonight. Um, gosh, I mean, how, how would you summarize this, this man's life in uh, uh, just a few sentences here? He is uh, really one of the premier Beatles collectors, um, starting from the, the early 70s. He's going to talk about that. But his collection was so good that it attracted the attention of none other than John Lennon. And uh, and yes, yes, indeed, Joe. And uh, and he <laughs> is going to talk about how that collection developed uh, into a friendship with John. He went on to become um, a promotions man for a variety of record labels and worked with some of the biggest artists you can possibly imagine. And, and too many that will be able to sort of fit in this show tonight. So you may uh, just have to come for, for a number of shows so we can cover <laughs> all these incredible people. He is the author of four books in the, in the uh, Dave Morrell archives, including the latest one, which uh, Tom, I know, yeah, I knew I could count on you to do that. Uh, the latest run out groove inside Capitol's 1980s hits and stiffs and they are all incredible reads. I cannot recommend them enough. So please, please welcome to the show, Dave Morell. So Dave, Yay. thank you so much. Welcome to Talk More Talk. Thank you so much, Kit. It's wonderful to be on with you. Thank you for the invite. And Ken, we go back from day one. Mm -hmm. And my yes. new friends, Joe and Thomas, uh, Tom, I love uh, getting to know you guys a little bit. In fact, uh, before we even begin, I'm in an office that's uh, Judy Kerr. Uh, she's been doing publicity for my book. And Judy worked at Capitol, the tower, for 33 years. And, you know, wow. she said, don't put your coffee down on the desk. Don't do anything. <laughs> I said, okay. But I just looked up because I wanted to move something. And uh, she'll kill me for this. But here's a beautiful picture of Judy with Paul McCartney. Oh, oh man. Wow. Nice. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> nice way to start the show. So oh, there nice. <laughs> and, and later on in the show, you're going, um, we're going to be showing you all some pictures uh, from Dave's personal collection that you will not believe. 
So, so just a, a little teaser of, of what will be coming up. So, uh, so Dave, let's, let's start out because maybe not everybody uh, watching tonight may be familiar with, with your full story. So tell us a little bit about how you became a collector and, and how that led to your friendship with John Lennon. Sure. Well, I, you know, I got bit by the beetle bug you know, when the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan show. And by then, I Want to Hold Your Hand was number one and everybody was off to the races. So, um, you know, immediately our, our lives changed so much that we, all the boys went from the Brill Cream, you know, Ed Burns, 77 Sunset Strip look to try to get a little Beatle look going on. And uh, we went to Tom McCann's to try to get a little Beatle boot. We went to uh, Bill Macy's to get a little high roll going. Um, and uh, going to school, though, you would, uh, I'd see in the windows the, the, the beginning of the Beatle magazines, Beatles Around the World, for instance, that was one of the earliest ones. And uh, so, and it's 16 magazine, which I felt strange buying. I thought it was like a woman's magazine, you know, but I, I, I had to get it. You know, the Beatles were on the cover and they had a lot of cool pictures. So, um, and then going to school, it just revolutionized uh, all of us going to school. Um, you know, everybody was in the same world. But one day I brought a Beatle album to school. Um, it was introducing the Beatles and the other guy brought his in. It was like show and tell day. And we both had the same record and we both flipped it over. But on the back, the songs were different. Mm -hmm. And it was unbelievable to see something like this. And it began this, uh, you know, what is this? Uh, somebody had a She Loves You single that said, don't drop out, you know, on it. And we were like, what is that? So there were little uh, things of this nature that sort of uh, got the wheels spinning. And, um, you know, it really, uh, to me, became something serious as a collector when um, I became a little older as far as collecting when I got to go to Greenwich Village. Finding Greenwich Village was difficult, but I found it and uh, we'd go over there. We got off right by an international newsstand and they had all the English uh, newspapers, DISC, the NME, uh, and it was like giant color pictures. They were six weeks old though, because they came from uh, the boat. You know, there was no uh, airmail in those days unless you paid big money, I guess, for a subscription. So rifling through those, we'd, you'd see like, uh, uh, you know, how many unreleased Beatle recordings are there? These are ones I know of. And we'd be like, colliding circles? What's this? You know, you'd, you'd just be starting to look for these or talk to people about these recordings. You'd see these uh, English albums that we weren't that aware of or knew enough about. And uh, on 8th Street, there were two things going on uh, if you were in this world now. One was the, uh, it's called, it was called the Disco Mat. And it was a English record shop. Used to go down a couple of steps and it was a very, uh, uh, you know, very uh, upscale record store. Everybody was dressed very well. It was like a George Martin kind of guy running it. And they had import albums and he would barely let us touch them. You know, never mind hold them up, look at them, certainly not open them. And he had the Who direct hits. He had some great Stones records and he had the Beatles for sale, which blew our minds. We just wanted to sit on the floor and look at this record. But it was way beyond any money that anybody had. <laughs> uh, then on the uh, oldie stores, uh, the big thing, of course, was the Beatle Butcher cover. 
And that thing was like looking at a, uh, a sexy car in a window, you know, with the tail fins of a Cadillac to see this beetle butcher cover. And it was $200 when nobody had $5, $200. But you couldn't, you just sit, look in the window like that's a guitar you're going to get one day. That's a nice suit I'd look good in. And it, it was the cover. And then over by the Fillmore East was a place called Free Being Records. And that's where we started to stumble on these bootleg records. And it all kind of came together like in, a, in the same time period where they were these white covers with stampers on them. One was a Get Back to Toronto. One was uh, Liver Than You'll Ever Be, The Rolling Stones. One was The Great White Wonder by Bob Dylan. So, you know, we didn't know anything about this. But around this exact moment, um, they said that Lennon had leaked the Get Back album to WBAI in New York, uh, sort of a public radio station to raise money and, and was playing it. So I have a tape recording, I got off BAI, where at the end of two of us, before they go, before we leave the little town of Liverpool or London, England, they go WBAI. And they say that that actually comes from uh, John giving the album to somebody in Boston. But anyway, so the radio was beginning to play this. There was interest in this. We were finding it. And then Rolling Stone was writing about these records. So uh, it, it became, you know, that. And, and along with that, of course, there was the Penny Lane with the trumpet ending. There was, um, we heard uh, Across the Universe. In fact, recently on Facebook, I posted a, a tape I had from uh, an AM Top 40 radio station playing it for the first time describing it as an outtake from Sgt. Pepper. I mean, there was no knowledge of, of this material. It's funny though, because within days, the FM station picked up on that uh, across the universe, but started to call it, nothing's gonna change my world, which to me made more sense that that's what the song was called. So I went looking for nothing's gonna change my world by the Beatles for so long. <laughs> Of course, that uh, George Martin expensive uh, discotheque record store uh, had that album, Nothing's Gonna Change Our World, the World Wildlife Foundation album, and it was a pretty penny, say $20, for one song. <laughs> so that was, you know, can't we chip in? You know, can't we do something, gang? But we didn't. <laughs> and, um, you know, this is when we really uh, got off to the races. Um, I'll step ahead with how funny this stuff is. One time I, I used to love the Bee Gees and I went to see the Bee Gees and I was uh, something I read, read in an English magazine that they were using, the Bee Gees were using the Beatles tour gear from 1966. It ended up with the Bee Gees with who Stigwood and Brian Epstein, blah, blah, blah. I don't know the backstory. I'm sure there's a book on it. <laughs> and so uh, I was a big fan, got great seats. The show's over, we're wiggling their hands. You know, we're gonna try to meet him out, outside. I've got pictures going. And Maurice Gibb, I say to him, um, hey, you know, I'm a big Beatle fan. And are, are those the, the Beatle amplifiers? He says, hey, you're a big Beatle fan? I said, yeah. He says, shh, I've got a top secret. Me and John made a record. I said, what? He goes, yes, top secret. It's called, have you heard the word? And we call ourselves the Fut. I said, what? <laughs> we, we, we're singing. I said, you are BSing me. He goes, no, me and John. The fut, have you heard the word? You're the only one that knows about this. I said, okay, <laughs> two years to find this crazy, well, you know, forever to find this record. The fut, have you heard the word? How to take out ads. I'll tell you more about uh, scoring on taking out ads in those English magazines. I get the record. It is the Bee Gees with the Beatles. There's no question. 
Yeah, my God, I, 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 I can't wait. So I run into John Lennon. I'm stepping ahead here, but we love John. And I'm stepping in this elevator. Uh, we had been at an immigration hearing downtown with John. And uh, we stepped in, we raced uptown to go to Apple. We didn't know that John Lennon was driving up there to go to Apple too. We're all in the elevator together. So I said, John, I've got it. He says, what have you got? I said, the FUT. Have you heard the word? The rarest Beatle record. He goes, what is it? I said, the Bee Gees with you. He goes, I, I, I never recorded with the Bee Gees. I go, come on, man. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It's you. Because <laughs> it's not me. And uh, he was so adamant. And I thought he's totally lying to me. <laughs> <laughs> he's putting me on too. But uh, of course, it wasn't them. And you should all play that record, but don't uh, look at the comments. Just enjoy uh, <laughs> that recording of that. Uh, you know, this sort of collecting records, though, uh, <clears throat> was so interesting because we had a, a, a momentum of where we were going to find these records. And then John Lennon came to America, like in June of 71, and began to show up overnight in Greenwich Village. Everywhere we went is a gang, like, the, like all of us tonight, if we were walking down the street, it'd be, John was just in that shoe store. What? Yeah, he bought the sneakers, the, the red, white, and blue sneakers with the stars on it that's been in the windows that we all hate. What? Yeah, oh, yeah, he bought those things. And he's wearing them up the block. Oh, you know, throw it up. And we'd go to an oldie store. And the guy would say, John was just here. Look at this. Here's the check. John Lennon, he bought the $90 worth of records. In fact, come on, fellas. Look, I got him to sign the wall back there. And he, was, and he was asking me for some picture covers. So if you kids have got any picture covers, I think he'll be back next week. He wants this cover. He wants that cover for the singles. I didn't have them. So we're like, wow, you know, we're sort of racing along. And then he showed up in um, Washington Square Park. He saw David Peel, you know, uh, busking. And uh, rather than get up there or get up front or I got to meet this guy, he stood way in the back. John didn't want to cause any uh, turmoil as David Peel was, you know, doing his thing. So um, this was really rolling around a lot. So, um, you know, John was collecting records. John was in the city. Uh, that was a big deal. You want me to keep talking? <laughs> Here we go. So dig this. Uh, dig this. So, and I, when I wrote my first book, I wanted to do this on an Apple platform where, as you were reading, if I said uh, John was on the Howard Smith show, you could click it and hear what I'm about to tell you and then see a picture. And I had such a marvelous uh, genie ball built, but I wasn't able to launch it for the rights to those interviews, um, for photographs. So to try to write a book without my pictures and my tapes, uh, you know, I'm not a writer, so I, I, my expectations were very, very low. So Howard Smith, this is a guy that had an FM radio show on with the most intellectual people in New York City. And once in a while, he had a couple of dummies on. And it was the greatest show to listen to. So um, I was a boy, a teenager. One of them was Xavier Hollander, who wrote a book, The Happy Hooker. So as a teenager, up at midnight on a Sunday night, I couldn't get enough of this gal, you know, give me a little history on the, on the situation. Um, but he had, you know, he'd have on Frank Zappa, Jim Morrison, uh, these out there kind of people. And he'd often uh, have John on, and I'm going to tell you why. Because Howard Smith was also um, uh, at the Village Voice, and he wrote scenes. So Village Voice was the Greenwich Village newspaper, one of the hippest papers in America. 
and Howard was in charge of scenes. This is the scene. This is the art scene. This is the music scene. This is the voice. And he knew Yoko before she tagged up with John. So when John and Yoko came to America, he was the handholder for John and Yoko, taking them all around the village, taking them everywhere I just talked about and had them on the radio often. He took them, uh, when he was interviewing Frank Zappa, he took them along when he knocked on the door, Zappa opens the door and there's John Lennon, uh, which you know finally put Zappa, you know, not as crazy as he would have been, but like more and all, like where's this interview gonna go? All right, and then that evening they went to play the Fillmore East. So one night, and I hope that all of us together get enough reaction tonight that somebody actually takes action on this. There's a beautiful recording, two hours long, of John and Yoko having a real happening, a real event, something that is so hard to explain, but so easy to explain. In other words, on a Sunday night once, the radio didn't begin with this. Hi, I'm Howard Smith. Tonight's guests are John and Yoko. We'll be back after this message from Coca-Cola. And then something. All of a sudden at 10 o'clock, John and Yoko started to pull that old, John, Yoko, John, Yoko. It's, you know, insanity for like an hour. As this was rolling on, the phones must have been ringing off the hook. I've got the entire tape of like, what's going on? Who's taking over the radio station? Now picture this. I'm a teenager. I'm in my bedroom. I've got a tape recorder set up here, reel-to-reel tape recorder running the tape. John and Yoko on Howard Smith show. I've got my own phone. I'm a teenager now. I need my privacy. And I'm trying to call in. Busy, 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 busy. And um, I got the radio on. So every time they did the old, John, Yoko, I'd turn it up really loud. And they'd go, John! <laughs> my mother would come to the door and say, what's going on in there? Turn that off and go to bed. I said, yeah, okay, all right. So this was going on and on and on. Every time I loudened it, she scream. My mother would scream. It was chaos. <laughs> then John began to answer the phone, but not say hello. He'd say something crazy, like, don't talk, the phone's bugged. Um, or he'd answer the phone and he'd start reading poetry to the person. So I said, I got to get through. I got to get through. What am I going to do? I got to say my name because I want all my friends in school to hear Dave Morell. That's important. And I want to, I want to flip it on John and talk about the great white wonder Dylan bootlegs. Get him to talk about a bootleg album. I'm going to twist them. And um, so I thought I'd say something witty like this. Of course, this doesn't work with John Lennon. So I'm in my bedroom. I got the tape recorder on. I've got the radio on, my mother's banging with John and Yoko, and I'm trying to get through, you know, <laughs> finally it's ringing. But on the radio, it's, it's not real, you know, it's like seven right. second delay, but I don't know that. Right. So all of a sudden, John Lennon is in my bedroom in Kearney, New Jersey, in my ear. And he, before I could get anything off, he says, could you say it a little lower? And I said, Dave Morell kissed the great white wonder. My mother goes, knock it off in there. And he says, could you say it a little lower? I said, Dave Morell, oh. the great white wonder. David, I'm warning you. I got my foot on the door, phone <laughs> in my ear. I got this thing going, a tape recorder. I think we're almost there. Could you say it a little lower? Dave Morell, <laughs> the great white wonder. David, stop it in there. <laughs> Open it up right now. What are you doing? Just once more. I think, I think we're almost there. 
<laughs> Thank you. You've won Mayor Lindsay's legs, and he hangs up on me. And, and tell your mother you were just talking to John Lennon on the phone. Oh. So that was so much fun and so madness with him uh, that it, it must be put out. I think Yoko would love to be adored for contributing to such a wonderful happening that was captured and should be put out to represent that joy that they brought to us. Wow. All right. So mm -hmm. fast forward. So I'm a layabout. I'm a total layabout. I don't have a job. I got out of high school and I, you know, I don't want to pick up a, a shovel, you know, so I'm kind of just lazy. I'm watching the Hollywood squares every day and doing nothing. <laughs> and um, Rolling Stone came and it said in the very, very back, you know, when you got nothing to do, you start reading everything in the magazine, including the end zone with the classifieds. And it said that they had a, um, a Beatles album, Yellow Matter Custard, with these song titles. I got a woman, slow down, glad all over, ain't nothing shaking but the leaves on the trees. And I was like, what is this? Well, it's called Yellow Matter Custard, so maybe there's like an outtake of I'm the walrus from something that I don't know about. Um, slow down, I know that one. Glad all over, is that the Dave Clark Five? What, I, I gotta get this record. So I mailed for it and it came, you know, uh, and there was no titles, no words, to, you know, it was just a red cover and a red record in it, red vinyl actually. So um, it was about this time, and I sent you the article, again, laying about, that on November 7th, you marked that date, November 7th, 1971, November 7th, that in the Sunday newspaper in New Jersey, this guy interviews John and Yoko. And in the beginning of the interview in a newspaper, which I sent you the copy of, it said, you know, I'm in John Lennon's uh, hotel, the 17th floor of the St. Regis Hotel, and in the room is a vase with flowers, painting, a picture of John and Yoko, and an unauthorized uh, Beatles uh, butcher cover with the Beatles dressed as bloody, uh, bloody dolls. And I'm like, what is John Lennon doing in America with, the, with, with the, this cover? This is insane. He, he has a Beatle butcher cover with him? Why? Why? I, I, you know, it, it just was crazy. So while I was meditating on that, the record came. I dropped the needle and I almost passed out because it was the Beatles, without any doubt to me. I could not believe this thing. And it wasn't until um, um, the song that Ann Margaret had done. Um, I just don't, don't understand. understand. Yeah, where uh, you could hear a, a tuning of a radio in, in it. So I knew that this had been broadcast and wasn't sort of a tape. Um, and so I wrote to this Howard Smith I'd been telling you about, who was John's friend had John and Yoko on the radio, had that big happening, took them all around. And I wrote a letter like with, you know, a, um, a golf, a, a little miniature golf pencil, I couldn't write too good, and said, hey, if you, when you get John back on, ask him about this record. I know it's the Beatles and I don't know anything about it. You know, ask him about these songs on, on this record I got. And, and then I went out and, then, and I come back home and my mother said, Howard Smith called you. Well, to me, it was like getting a call from one of the Beatles or Ed Sullivan. It's like, I know that this guy's famous. So uh, I called him back at the Village Voice. And he said, John wants to meet you. And I said, what? He goes, yeah, he wants to meet you. Can you come over to, to, to tomorrow, you know? I said, yeah. So I put together a suitcase of a bunch of what I thought 
uh, was interesting Beatles stuff that he wouldn't have seen being a Beatle on the road living in England. You know, a lot of American stuff, the uh, Savage Young Beatles. I thought that was a terrific kick for him. Uh, Best of the Beatles, where Pete Best's head is circled on the album. Uh, the <laughs> Beatle bubblegum <laughs> cards, where the one of them, the Beatles, uh, look like they don't have any hair. I knew he'd get a kick out of that. And, uh, and then, you know, it, it, the next object I pulled out was two pictures of the Beatles. I had three. Two pictures of the Beatles at the Cavern Club and uh, one picture that was all the Beatle autographs. And I had gotten these from looking at the back of Disc Magazine six weeks late and a woman putting in a classified ad. And when she said pictures uh, taken of the Beatles at the Cavern, I thought, oh my God, I'll, I'll, I'll own these pictures that no one's ever seen before of the Beatles at the Cavern. Well, when it said she took them, she took them off their wall, <laughs> you know? And they had the stamp of Peter Kay on the back of them, but she didn't take them. So I had these gorgeous photographs professionally taken by Peter Kay and these Beatle autographs that I, I just wanted him to verify. And he fell in love. He says, are these for me? And, you know, how do you say no to John Lennon? And I said, <laughs> no. <laughs> you, know, you know, tell me about them. And on the album covers, you know, he, he kicked him across the room. He had so much fun with them. And I just want to say this here now. When I got to meet him, I'm like... Um, when you go to a bookstore today and you meet somebody famous, it's like, don't talk, don't look in their eyes, hurry, next. And you're out of there. And then you, for the rest of your life, this is your uh, wonderful memory, you know? That wasn't what this was. There was something in the air here that for me being a kid, I just tried to be, be cool. I didn't go in there with a set of Beatle albums to sign and, and pictures. I wasn't uh, on, uh, you know, let's make a deal and I just got picked. I tried to lower, the, lower it down. And here I was with Howard uh, Smith, who brought me. Who, so Lennon must have said, this guy, you know, let's sit down. And what really blew everybody's mind was, uh, as the time went on, sitting with John, um, he said, what are you missing? What are you missing for your collection? I said, you know, it's the Beatle Butcher cover. And, you know, I told you that article, November 7th. And uh, he says, yeah, I said, you know, it's downtown, it's $200, but you can get a car for $200. I'll get it someday, don't worry. And he goes, no, we're gonna get it tonight. And he picks up the phone and calls over this guy, Peter, I think his name was, and said, bring, the, bring it over. And so now he's opening up this door that's gonna take an hour for it to arrive. He's not, you know, in this mood to kick us out. So we were able to really kick it back. And Yoko wasn't in the room. So uh, John could really, t it wasn't an intellectual Howard Smith, Yoko, artsy conversation. Uh, it was more just us. And I recall vividly that we were talking about oldies and it was so funny uh, that I recall this one, but he started to talk about Please Mr. Postman. I said to him, geez, I love Please Mr. Postman. And, uh, and Howard Smith goes, what? You did the, you guys did Please Mr. Postman? He goes, yeah. And he goes, it couldn't be any better than a Marvelettes. What are you, what are you kidding me? The Beatles? Did this? And he goes, yeah, we did it. We did it good, too. And he goes, I'm going to play it this week on the radio. There's no way the Beatles could do that record better than Marvelettes. I was looking at this going down like, hey, whoa. There's some good <laughs> stuff going on here. You know, lovely. So uh, then um, the record arrives. And John Lennon is holding, you know, his Beatle butcher cover. And he's showing showing it, it to me. And what's interesting now was Howard Smith, who I told you was this intellectual guy, older, 
and wasn't a Beatles fan and knew nothing about the subject. So he said, What's, uh, what, what is this? You know? And then John was able to talk artsy, you know, instead of a fan. He said, you know, art-wise, we thought this, and he named all the people involved in it and what a great idea and to not be the beat of the Fab Beatles, but to do this. So to, to sit and listen to John Lennon, uh, slow it down, not just give it, you know, not to a fan, but slow it down to an intellectual guy that really wanted to learn about it. As this was going on, the back of the cover, um, there was a tear, you know, it tore off and it had a rip in it. And so he had a ball, two ballpoint pens and, and one of them, he just started to draw. And uh, he had had at least two jazz cigarettes and, um, and he started to draw and it just was, you know, going, you know, going its own way. And then when we left, he said, here you go. And then he wrote on it, you know, as you've seen it before, but to Dave from John Lennon, December 7th, 1971. So it was exactly 30 days from the moment I ever read about it or knew about it or knew that he had it. And it's in my hands coming mm. from him. Is that unbelievable? And <laughs> it should have happened to, to, to all of us. Wow. And um, it was so mind blowing that um, he wanted me to have it, you know, and he wrote, you know, to Dave so big. And it was such a lovely conversation that then Howard had me on the radio to talk about like, hey, Dave came, he wrote me a letter, we went to see John Lennon, this is what happened, John gave him this, and John went, to, you know, talked about this. So um, that was such, such a big deal. But here's the big deal, it's not about me. It was a big deal because everybody reacted. All of us came out of this world we were in, it didn't know there was a place to go. So the letters flooded in. And the next week, uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but Howard would have other Beatle collectors on. John Overall was one of them. And then people sent in tapes. They came on with tapes. And we had a free-for-all for months with the Howard Smith going off the rails with huge ratings, which we weren't aware of. We were just kids on the radio. And uh, we, took it, we took this so far. And um, so it was here that uh, when the Beatles did that, when WPLJ did... Um, Beatles 72, this full day Beatles special. Um, he, he interviewed John Lennon exclusively. And as he was interviewing him, he said, Dave, uh, you know, I'm always interviewing them. And you came at this with a completely different fans angle. Can you put together a bunch of fans questions that you have and I'll ask John about them? And I said, yeah, yeah. And so you, there's a tape, you know, uh, um, hey, Dave Morrell, that guy that gave you the tape, uh, the guy that gave you the record. And John goes, and this is about the Yellow Matter Custard record now. And John goes, oh, yeah, I was talking to George about it. We're going to put it out. He goes, what? <laughs> yeah, it's the first, first Beatles album. I was talking to George about it last night. And, and, and Howard's like, what? And uh, yeah, and in the uh, Hunter Davies book of John Lennon's letters, you look December 7, 71, John, when he got home, had a copy made and sent it to Paul. And the original note is in the book where he says, hey, Paul, get a load of this. Not bad for a demo, eh? So it really rocket shipped uh, John on this record. Now, um, also, as we were going to meet John Lennon, uh, Howard said to me, hey, did you ever meet him before? I, uh, you know, what kind of kid are you? Did you ever meet him before? I said, no, 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 no. I said, I did speak to him once on your show. He said, you did? I go, yeah. He said, uh, could you say it a little lower? Could you say it a little lower? And, uh, <laughs> you know, and so he goes, oh, my God. 
I remember that. And John remembered that because when the show was over, he talked about how funny that was. Make sure we talk about that. Oh, so, wow. um, so as we're talking, you want me to continue? Sure, keep going. Um, yeah, I'm geeking out right now. <laughs> so, um, as things got rolling, um, let me fast forward a little bit. So now I'm a, a teenager meeting him and brought in to, to meet him like this. So um, now we'll fast forward a little bit. And we started a meme, uh, because of all the people writing to Howard Smith, so many letters, I met a guy named Keith who ended up opening It's Only Rock and Roll down in the village. It was also called Revolver. He's one of the most well-known uh, collectors of memorabilia in the city. He's since passed away, but that was the go-to place in the village for all the writers and Rolling Stone, New York Times, everybody went to his shop. I met him, I, I met Ron Fermanac. And so uh, we got into this Beatle business with the, with the Beatle memorabilia. In fact, um, after the butcher cover thing went down, we decided to make up for our, for our Beatles for sale uh, uh, retail place. We had our, uh, the incredible t-shirts. This is an original from 1972. Wow. We uh, handmade this in Ron's basement. And we only, <laughs> we, two, two kids was Abbott and Costello working with paint, a silk screen and white shirts. We, we had a hundred, we probably got about 20 off. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, <clears throat> so uh, getting together with Ron, we began to open a, a Beatle business, which got interest from all the Beatle fans who, who wrote to us, we'd write back to them. And for instance, a couple of the things that were happening was like in February of 72, Paul began to go on the road with wings and being in America, we didn't know much. And you know, American newscasters weren't gonna cover that or if they did, you wouldn't get the information we're looking for. What were the songs? You know, what was he wearing? Anybody got a sound check of it? So uh, people did have those tapes, but we didn't have many things to bargain with except our, our vinyl records and a few rare tapes, the Beatles on Shindig tape. These were not uh, video recordings that didn't exist, but audio tapes. And this is when we went to see John uh, for the one-to-one -one benefit concert and recorded both shows. So now we had, you know, two complete John Lennon performances uh, of all his songs. We knew the set list. And so we could now trade for those Paul McCartney tapes. And this really, you know, set the pace for, for growing this thing in an incredible way and meeting some of the most incredible people. It's funny though, you know, some of them are so high and some of them are so low in a sense. One, somebody wrote to me once and he said, I've got a stereo, stereo, what a word, stereo <laughs> outtake from the White Album. I'm coming over to trade for something I had. I said, oh my God, I'm going to go nuts. <laughs> he brings the tape over. I said, please don't touch it. Put it on the machine. Don't, don't listen yet. I just want to see if it's in stereo. I put it on play. I could see both meters flipping. I'm like, oh my gosh, let's hear it. And it was, what's the new Mary Jane? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, get out of here. What the hell is this? <laughs> I don't want that. This, this ain't a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> we we had such joy and then um i got in the record business i'll skip this till because we're talking about the beatles and, and john lennon mm -hmm. so i get in the business and i'm in the new york office i'm now a promotion man i'm 21 years old i'm working at warner brother records and the girl uh i'm working with mary martin who's an a and r who signed emmy lou harris and brought bob dylan and the band together and next to her office is joe bergman who worked with the rolling stones and was um, worked with the Beatles. Uh, uh, I can't think of the guy's name uh, back in the olden days. She had his uh, Tony Barrow. She worked for Tony. So um, 
she had all these cool people come up and one of them was Richard Delello, the, the longest cocktail party. And we hooked up right away, you know, we got on with each other. So I went to his house and he goes, hey, you wanna listen to some Beatles stuff? And he had all the David Dalton tapes that were given to Dalton and, the, and Jonathan Cott for the Let It Be book that was in the Let It Be album for the UK, you know, Canadian. He had all the audio tapes that nobody would ever heard. And they were going to have the Beatles talking in different colors in the book. Like John would be red, Paul would be blue, so it wouldn't have to say John and Paul. So here I was in his uh, home listening to these unbelievable tapes that are the Let It Be tapes. And he said, oh, yeah, copy them, take them home. So for the next uh, literally 10 years, whenever I caught ill, I'd lay on the couch, put the tape on, and, and, and fly into the Beatles studio and listen to them talking and recording. And then as I got well, I said, hey, let's make a better album than Phil Spector made. In other words, Phil didn't ever listen to this stuff because there's great stuff here. In fact, when he goes, I dig a pygmy by Charles, we found a sentence that was longer than that. So we said, let's put our album together with a longer beginning, same thing, and do the same order, but better songs. So we were having so much fun, you know, with that angle. Okay, so moving it along, I work at Warner Brothers, and one day we're uh, going out with a man named uh, George Melly, this European guy that should have been in uh, uh, the new vaudeville band, um, or uh, Obey, what would you say? You know, this guy dressed up like a gangster in the 30s, and he was much older, and he came to America, and he was sort of like our Leonard Cohen kind of guy, and we were going to have lunch with him. I had nothing to talk about. I knew I didn't want to sit next to a guy with a cigar and the old spats. So um, we go into this private restaurant in a private room and Bob Merlis, the head of publicity, goes, Dave, that's Derek Taylor. He's, he's working with George Milley. I said, Derek Taylor? He goes, yeah, with, from the Beatles. I go, what? Well, I chewed his ear off. I drove him bonkers with my BS. Insanity. Now, just to tell you how insane it got was when we were collecting all the stuff and we had our Beatle business, some guy wrote to, wrote to us that had the Beatles at the Washington Coliseum movie and he wanted 20 grand for this negative. And none, we were boys. Oh, We had no money. So uh, he said, I give you a print for 200. So we got a print of it. And, um, you know, we knew we were on gold. We knew we had gold here. So when, when I met Derek, you know, I said to him, hey, we got this Beatle movie, the very first concert in America that... And he said, we don't even have that. I said, really? He says, no, are you kidding me? He says, could I see it? I said, yeah. So, um, so actually before that happened, Neil Aspinall had come to New York and we ran the movie for Neil Aspinall and he was on his way to catch a plane. He knew Joe Bergman. He said, we got to stay on this. You know, when Derek comes or you meet him or I come back, we got to deal with this movie that you guys got me and Ron. So now Derek comes and I'm with him this day. And he says, you know, I got to run we're gonna hook up. So it's August of 74, I'm a promotion man, and Derek comes back to the States with Mike McGear, Paul's brother. And uh, I'm the promotion man. So I took him all around in a limousine. I treated him like a million bucks, WNEWFM, here's all the jocks, let's go out to Long Island. I, I knew who he was and I gave him the privilege, the <laughs> respect, the love you would give that kind of a guy. I, he should have been shocked that I knew who he was, <laughs> you know? So we had a wonderful day. And I said, at the end of the day, we'll show the movie in Derek's uh, room at the Algonquin Hotel. So I called up Ron, bring the projector over 16 millimeter, set it up in the room. We had it all set to go. And Derek said he wanted to go for a walk. 
And I could understand it. The place was getting, he had a bunch of people in the room. And so he took off. And all of a sudden the phone rang. And I said, I'm going to answer that. So I picked up the phone and it was May Pang. Hmm. So immediately I, the energy was coming through the line. And she <laughs> said, how many people are in the room? And I said, well, you know, I got, we're up to about eight now. They're all of Derek's girlfriends and me and Ron. And he goes, um, we can't come. And all of a sudden Derek comes on the phone and he goes, what's going on? I said, hey, man, we're all set. Your girls are here. Movies are on. We're set. And he goes, can you bring the movie over here? I said, yeah, where are you? I grabbed the hotel pen, you know, 424 West 52nd Street. Got it. Flew over, uh, going up to this uh, Beekman uh, place. And uh, we get, you know, we had to get through security or the guy, get up. This is the door we're going to knock on. Door opens and there's not a room. It's this giant stairwell going up <laughs> and the flash goes off. And it was May taking our picture. She goes, oh, don't worry if you can't see, just grab the railing. And when we got up there, she said, uh, look, uh, look at the doorway on your way out. And she, there was a picture of Paul and Linda, picture of David Bowie, all these Polaroids of people that had come in through this doorway. So imagine going up into this room, turning to the right, and on a bed is John Lennon, Derek Taylor, and McGeer. And the beauty of it was <laughs> May Pang was with him. And I knew May. So it was like comfortable. It wasn't odd. It was completely comfortable. Plus, I was a Warner Brother rep now, and I was with Derek Taylor. So it was like perfect. And, you know, so he goes, hey, what do you got? And this is when uh, we started to talk about this, this picture. And he said, let's see it. So we started the projector against this uh, window. Uh, he had the curtain down, and it began. And we're all watching it. And watching John watch himself with the Beatles was way beyond compare, but times a thousand. I don't want to get cute. It was beyond meditative, beyond a thought you could imagine. And uh, when the Beatles went to do this boy, he jumps out of the bed, runs over to this big wall where the picture was, sat cross-legged staring at himself. And when the two guys break off from him and he takes it, oh, he went nuts. He went nuts, delirious, standing up, you know, like it was, he was so happy seeing himself so good. <laughs> and he just got completely excited about this and then turned the tables again on us. So we're all on the bed like, wow, this is, this worked out. You know, he's so happy. Oh, John. And he goes, uh, yeah, hey, you know, look around. Do you see any gold records? Nope. You see any of my guitars? Nope. You see anything? No, nope. He goes, well, come with me. And we go in this room and he opens up his closet and on the floor between his boots was this uh, acetate in a yellow uh, envelope that looked like it was pizza stained and worn like forever. And inside that was another uh, envelope and he takes it with him and says, let's go in the living room. And one of his speakers wasn't working, but my friend Ron got on it and fixed his speaker for him. So he was really <laughs> great, grateful. And um, so everything's set to go. And then John stood there and told us about Love Me Do and how uh, he then had to do uh, How Do You Do It? And he didn't want to do it. And we all listened to him tell the story. I don't want to take the time up now, but he told us in detail about this. And then he had on the acetate, How Do You Do It? by the Beatles, produced with him singing it. And I had only heard of it, like all of us, from the Hunter Davies book, that that happened. 
And he turned the tables on us. We were all so floored that he would play us. How do you do it? And um, he launched us into another stratosphere. And um, when we left that night, uh, we left talking a lot about the oldies. You know, again, when I talk about that, I want to really stress that when you're around John and you're talking about rock and roll, he wouldn't stop talking and he loved to, to tell you about it. If Yoko was in the room, it twisted to the politics and the, the wearing out of a kid with a jukebox talk. So with May, it was just never ending on this. All right. So uh, that was August. And then um, I get a phone call. I'm in my office and it's May. And she says, John remembers you have a great oldies collection. Have you got Just Because by Larry Williams? I said, yeah, I, I never heard of the record. I never heard of the record. <laughs> And I, I didn't want to lose the opportunity of getting it for John Lennon. I, I couldn't imagine what that record would be. I called up the House of Oldies. Hey, have you got just because? Yep. How much? A dollar? I'm on the way. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I grabbed the record and um, I go upstairs to the record plant where I had been when I met John and he gave me the butcher cover. I'm in the same environment. And... Um, I get off, but that was on the first floor. Now I'm on the 10th floor and I get off the elevator and I see nobody and one guy coming out who doesn't look happy, but being in a record business and reading the trade magazines, I recognized him as Roy Sakala, the owner of the joint. So I looked at him, uh, you know, before I could get anything out, he said, could I help you? And I'm telling you from this corner of the room, Roy, that's Dave. My, and that was it for me. All I had here was my name. That's Dave. That's Dave. He didn't even know it. That's Dave. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. You know, can I have a heart attack now? <laughs> so he said, did you bring the record? I go, yeah. He says, give it to me. She's going to translate the words for me and follow me. So we go in and we go into this room where there's a mic set up and then the booth. And he says, let me introduce you to little Jimmy, sweet little 16, Jimmy Iovine. And I had just met him. I was like 22 and Jimmy was like 16. And we hit it off right away, you know, right away. Hmm. And uh, so I'm standing there with Jimmy shaking his hand and John goes, play him what we're working on. So I'm like, wow, you can play for me? You know, I'm nobody. I brought a record over. I'm the messenger. So he goes, play it for him. So now you're going to hear, you know, Phil Spector's two inch tapes in the record plant with John Lennon, Jimmy Iovine in a recording studio. And when Jimmy hit play and threw the volume up, it landed about three blocks back. <laughs> you know? And I was holding on to my head and it was being blown because I heard Angel Baby. And it was so beautiful. I just loved the song. I loved what John did to the song. And I was just melting in front of the guy. And then uh, it was over and I was just rubber legged, you know, what could I say? I'm nobody, you know, but he wanted an opinion, you know, so we, we chatted, I told him I loved it. And then he said, play him the next one. And it was be my baby. And the, the tempo of that he pulled on that song was so beautiful, the slowness. I was again, beyond overwhelmed to be having this experience uh, and being in the room and saying, honestly, is the president of the United States behind me or is the going <laughs> behind me? What the hell is going on here? And uh, so when this was over, John said, we're ready. And I'm like, okay, he says, here we go. So Jimmy put up another tape. John went out into the booth 
and he revved up Just Because, which became the final song of the rock and roll album that he put out until five years later, Double Fantasy. So now they're running the tapes of Just Because, and John is right there in front of us. And if you listen to the rollout of that song, you'll see he, he starts, here we are, all of us at the record plant. And he's pointing right to Jimmy and I, right at us. It's just the three of us. So from all of us to all of you, you so long. And I'm watching this go down. Mm. Didn't realize it would be the last thing he says on the last album before the double fantasy. And uh, it wound on down. And then um, what's fascinating about this is in the Playboy interview of December uh, 80, five years later, he says, um, I said, John, you know, where was this moment where you this or that? And he says, oh, I was working on the, the rock and roll album just because. And I remember looking at these two guys in the room saying, that's it. It's over. I'm out of here. And, you know, so he was implying a situation that I had witnessed or experienced myself. And it meant so much to me to, again, to hear that it was uh, reminiscent there. So um, that was way out of control to, to see that. Uh, and when we were leaving that evening, you know, he kept seeing me carrying this bag around and he said, what are you carrying around there? And I didn't want him to feel paranoid. I had a tape recorder. So I opened it up. I had all my catalogs for the record business. And I said, geez, please take some and order some. He said, no, pick out a couple of cool records and send them to me, which I, which I did. So now uh, at that time in my life, and I, I know you got a picture somewhere, I was wearing these old buttons. I had Pat Boone, I had Fats Domino, and I had this uh, $1 Elvis Presley button, two-tone job. And I was wearing it, and John kept saying how he dug that. So uh, a couple of days after uh, what I just told you happened. Um, While you're talking, I'm going to call up the picture, so keep okay. going. <laughs> so, uh, uh, a couple of days later, make, oh, so big, by the way, Jimmy and I hit it off really well. And I would go down now and meet with Jimmy at the record plant because he was finishing Bruce Springsteen's. We good? Yep, yeah, okay, I'm just calling it up. He, yeah, on. he would, um, <laughs> Jimmy would say, hey, Dave, listen to what I'm working on. And he would play me uh, like Thunder Road like 50 times. He was working on the Born to Run album. And um, he was even playing it so many times, we'd go downstairs in front of record plant to a car parked outside where there we'd hear the, uh, the record through the car AM radio. So Jimmy and I were really hooking it up and uh, Jimmy wanted to meet uh, Carol Miller, who we ended up with. And I was, a, I was, you know, promotion man. So we had a lot going on with each other. As a matter of fact, when Jimmy went to, um, when, I, I, when I left Warner's and I went to RCA, Jimmy's, one of his first albums was Flame with Marge Ramon that he produced and it came over to RCA. And this was a time when Jimmy was even playing the guitar in those bands. But back to John. So uh, it was his birthday. And they said, hey, we're over at Record Plant, Dave. You know, why don't you come by? And I was like, wow, how do, you know, how do I squeeze between Raquel Welsh, uh, Jackie Onassis, and all the New York elite? They said, just come over here, knock it off. And they were like less than 10 people, you know, in this room uh, at Record Plant. May had given them a, a big guitar, not a big guitar, guitar. And, uh, and my thoughts were like, what do you give John Lennon? What are these people giving Jan John Lennon? And how come John Lennon isn't celebrating at the Tavern on the Green with Eric Clapton, the, 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 the Rolling Stones, and how come he's not singing Slow Down, you know, <laughs> at midnight? I mean, why is he just 10 people whispering and six of them left, you know, within a half hour of me arriving? You know, they were like going home. So, I, um, so now, <clears throat> uh, before I had arrived, I had that Elvis button. 
and I went to a jeweler. If you can imagine how nutty this is, it's right out of a Mel Brooks movie with Dick Sean. You know, I'm on 50th Street and Madison Avenue, one of the most expensive parts of town. I go into a jewelry store with a plastic pin and say to the guy, could you put two, two John from Dave? He looked at me like, what are you, crazy? You know, I said, no, I'm serious. I'll, I'll pay you. So uh, it was so hilarious to put, put up with me while I finally got him to, sign, uh, to write something on the button. Meanwhile, go to the thing, put the button in the envelope, give it to John. I honestly thought nothing of this. It'll go in the garbage can. To my surprise, he began to wear it. <laughs> and uh, to the book that comes with the Walls and Bridges, you know, the song book where you learn to play the guitar, there's images of him wearing it in that. The uh, Sergeant Pepper on Broadway, he's wearing it. Uh, he, you couldn't get it off of him in different, you could say he wore the same coat all the time, but he wore it on different coats. So um, it was so pleasing uh, for me to know that. And um, I, I realize I'm going to pull this in because I have so many more stories between now uh, and where I'm going with this, but it's staying on the button. <laughs> so in, uh, in, in, in February <clears throat> 75, uh, the Grammys were, were in New York. I went to the Grammys. Uh, I ran into Dennis Elsus from NEW. We looked to our left. There was John Lennon, and he was bringing Yoko out for the first time. They were back together again. And he said, come on over. Look, we're back with Yoko, blah, blah, blah. And he was wearing the Elvis pins, you know, written out Elvis in silver. She knew how much he loved that Elvis pin. She wanted to put her own spin on it. So I asked him about the button, and that's what he told me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean... Uh, I mean, so, I mean, you just had all these different encounters and it just, you know, he just seemed like so approachable for you. I mean, just, you know, not a, you know, I mean, just a regular person. I mean, of course he wasn't a regular person. You know, I mean, he was a rock star, but you know. When you see Paul now, when you get it, uh, follow his voice, the dialogue he has, he's so uh, immured about who he was. Like, I can't believe that was me. I can't believe that I was with John. I can't believe him. You know, he's like so such a fan himself. And I think that was truly my takeaway. And the thing with John was, uh, you know, I just wrote a little note and he responded. And he used to love to get letters and respond to them. I, I, you know, we all wish we knew that then. You could say, I know you're busy. Here's 10 questions, you know, and he'd send it back to you. So uh, that's what made it so marvelous. And then I don't want to take all the time, but... Uh, you know, you can imagine uh, how that felt to me to to get up close and not be pushed away by a Beatle, to have that dream come true and to talk to him about recordings, the oldies, Shea Stadium, which I was able to, to go to. I was able to uh, really knock it out of the park. Um, and he was uh, able to let me articulate, you know, uh, questions I was trying to say. Uh, and he was more than gracious of all of his time. And then in my lifetime, I got to be in the record business and I ended up at Capitol Records, as you can well imagine, the Beatles are long gone. And then, uh, you know, I get, I get a, a telex from Baskar Menon, the world chairman, that says we've just signed Paul McCartney. Well, <laughs> I mean, come on. I, I just couldn't even imagine it. You know, that now I'd, I'd, have, an, I'd have enough experience in my life. I knew the radio stations. I knew I could present myself well, and, and, and certainly I couldn't wait to meet Paul and tell him that, you know, I would be his New York guy. And it was so funny because when we met uh, with the Press to Play party at Radio City Music Hall, um, 
there was a lot of people. We invited a lot of people. It was in the uh, lobby, Radio City Music Hall. It was probably 200 people. And so as it was just beginning, flashbulbs were popping. And I stood back. I was willing to, you know, say, I'm not important. You know, I, I get this. There'll be, a, there'll be a moment. And so I stood with Basker Menon, the chairman, Don Zimmerman, the president, Rupert Perry, the president in England, and me, you know, this nobody guy. And out of the blue, Paul pops his head right in. And I'm like right in front of Paul McCartney. And he says, hey, I was waiting for Jude. <laughs> and he has those almond eyes and looks at you and says, hey, it comes out really crazy in your head. And, uh, and I was so grateful that the people who he knew um, from his days with Capitol introduced me to him and passed the baton. Paul, this is Dave. He's our guy in New York. He's going to be with you. Of course, Paul then said, what's, your fa what's one of your favorite songs on the album? And I was standing next to Baskar Menon. And I said, oh, move over, Baskar. And he <laughs> moved over. And everybody looked at him like, what's up? And he looked at what's going on here? And I, <laughs> so it was move over, Busker. And we all had a, a very lovely laugh. Now, as Paul was making the rounds, um, Linda uh, was talking <laughs> with Danny Fields, her friend, who, who actually worked at 16 Magazine, and, you know, signed the Stooges and all those guys. So he was a character, and I knew Danny. And she goes, hey, anybody got anything to smoke? So we took ourselves upstairs at Radio City Music Hall and gazed at this giant, uh, you know, showcase theater alone, just me, her, and Danny, while we had a little jazz moment. <laughs> and so she goes to me, and she was so kind and wonderful. And she said, Dave, did you ever come here? I said, oh, yeah, I was here once. I saw the movie, The Yellow Rolls Royce. She says, that was a terrible movie, Dave. <laughs> that wasn't a good movie. I said, well, okay, you know. And then she told me how she would go there in high school with the class, and they would dance in the, in the, in the aisles. So we had such a joyful time. And as we were breaking up, going down, it was like, it was like Judy Garland with, uh, you know, the bear, you know, the two characters dancing down the stairwell of Radio City Music, <laughs> the cowardly lion and the scarecrow and her. And uh, as we approached the table, I was bouncing off to go sit where I'm supposed to be, way in the back. And uh, Paul looks up and goes, oh, these, these got the munchies <laughs> right here. So uh, I, I got to sit with Paul and, um, you know, I was just, Paul really takes over, not unlike myself in, in this uh, last hour we've had together. <laughs> Paul took over the conversation and uh, told us all about his new album. And, you know, it was just so enjoyable. And then when it, you know, became like dessert or later on, he said, Dave, what's going on at Capitol? And I said, oh, you know, we're so excited to have you back on the label. I can't wait to get started. You know, I introduced you to everybody here today, all the DJs we both know together. It'll be great. Um, but, you know, I noticed in the Capitol catalog, we're going to put out this Rarities album. And he goes, no, we're not, you know, we talked, we're not going to do that. I said, you know, it's already in the salesman's catalogs and they're taking the orders. He goes, no, why would we do that? What's on it, Dave? And I'd say, well, you know, take 18 of uh, I'm the Walrus. And he'd say, take 18? Who picked that? I'd say, I don't know. I, I wish I heard all of them so that I could pick them. He goes, no, 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 you know. Why take 18? We're not 11 or 12. I don't know about that. He said, Dave, listen to the final one. That's the one, man. I said, okay, what about songs that we ne we've never heard before, but by other artists? He says, what do you mean? I said, what about Badfinger? Come and get it. When I heard your demo, Paul, I said, man, that is exactly like Badfinger. He says, that's right. I told the fellas. 
exactly this way, boys. Exactly this way for them. <laughs> so the whole table's cracking up. And I said, um, what about songs that no one's ever heard before? Uh, he says, name one. I said, that means a lot. And he goes, can't you see? Can't you see? Rubbish. I don't want anybody to ever hear that song. I said, okay. So we were having such a riotous time. And then um, the moment arrived and I had the Beatle Butcher cover. And I, and I didn't want to be a jerk, the guy in the record company shoving it in his face. You know, I, I waited it out. And I said, Paul, uh, you know, I'd love to get your signature on this. And he looked at this thing. And he said, wow, I haven't seen this in years. If you didn't have the signature on here, I'd nick it off of you. <laughs> he, just, wow. he just loved it. And it was so enjoyable to then to talk <clears throat> with him and go on a journey with him. And um, I was so lucky in my journey with him, because let me just say, and then I'll let everybody else tell me to knock it off. But okay. <laughs> when, when you're at a record company, uh, whoever the president was is key. In other words, if the president came from sales, then he very rarely would talk about, you know, the Beatles new album, he'd say, you know, uh, capital 2602 is shipping this week on this number. They're all number orientated. If they were from press, they would always say, we're not doing any radio till we do all the big newspapers first. And if they came from radio, then they'd say, let's make sure we wrap up the radio first before we go out. So Paul's manager at the time was, had also managed Michael Jackson, as we talked about. His name was Ron Weisner. And when I met Ron, we came from the same cloth, the same radio stations. And so uh, I would find myself with Paul uh, backstage where Ron would say, I got to go do some paperwork. Dave, keep an eye on Paul. Paul, keep an eye on Dave. And, and he'd leave. <laughs> and uh, it was extraordinary to then talk to Paul about Germany and Astrid and all the old uh, times together and get to know him. So. Wow. Oh. My well, I promise this wouldn't be a monologue, it'd be a dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as, as we're all, uh, I think, picking our jaws up off the floor, um, <laughs> uh, um, I know you guys have, have questions, so, um, so uh, Tom, I think you're chomping at the bit here. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's, it's amazing stuff, Dave, just amazing. Um, I just can't imagine being, you know, living that life that you, you had. Um, one thing about I thought really found fascinating was you talk about, uh, you know, actually getting to see the one one to one concert, uh, both performances, and then getting to see it again when they when they brought uh, when when you know they had in the theater. Talk about that experience again, just like reliving it. Totally. You know. Let me start off by telling you a very exciting story. That summer of '72, three cool things happened. One, Elvis Presley came to New York played his first concert ever in New York City and uh, RCA turned it around so quick it was the quickest turnaround live album in the history two two weeks later it was out I went with Ron who was a real Elvis nut I wasn't a real Elvis nut in the uh, Las Vegas -y days but Ron was and so uh, he said I'm going to get tickets stand online in the rain for two days and you'll come I said okay well, you know, Colonel Tom Parker gave up the great seats to the fans. We had Led Zeppelin sitting behind us, the Rascals sitting behind us, and we were up close with Elvis. So Ron had taken a camera, uh, eight millimeter, and he got the King, you know, doing a song. And then we'd go back to his house and he'd run it on. He had, you know, the stuff you need to run it back. And we'd put sound to it when that live album came out. We'd see Elvis Presley in a film that he shot. It was a little wiggy, a little wiggly. Uh, the next month, Stevie Wonder opened for the Stones, and then the next month, John Lennon came. So we got tickets, and Ron had another plan this time. He was going to strap a tripod to his pants, and <laughs> <laughs> he was going to capture it right this time. 
And also, we had uh, made up these shirts, uh, which I showed you, right. of the butcher cover. And we had such a nutty time. We got licenses to be peddlers. And we tried to peddle these things for two bucks around the garden. So uh, the first show, I was sitting probably uh, 80 rows back on the left. And I had high, you know, high good telescopic lenses. I shot black and white in color. We had audio going. And, um, and Ron had that bootstrap with his tripod. But dig this. Um, Ron had never seen a Beetle before. And they warned us not to sell the T-shirts inside. Warning, don't do that. Right. So mine were in a bag underneath my seat on with the shelf. Ron, not so much. <laughs> He's wheeling and dealing these shirts. It's, you know, all of a sudden, power to the people. The record's playing. Power to... All of a sudden, Ron gets lynched by the cops. You know, they pull him out. He's going to Beetle Jail. And John Lennon's about to come on the stage. I, I can't rescue him. I got to see John Lennon, you know. So see ya, you nut. So, you know, I, I waited till Yoko sang and then ran around to find Beetle jail and got him out of there and he had to get rid of his shirts but um you know so uh, and he was nervous the rest of the time and we didn't shoot any uh, uh camera stuff now it's the second show the one thing about the early show is i think it's so hard they started and stopped and he said welcome to the rehearsal um and you know the sound of the audience wasn't uh, loud at all like you would expect you know there was this quick wave but then it settled down, it completely settled down as the show went on. It wasn't a noisy concert. Okay, so in between shows, we're outside of Madison Square Garden. I'm still trying to hawk the shirts. And right in front of Madison Square Garden was Pete Bennett and uh, Klein, uh, Klein, I forget his first name. Alan. Alan. Alan Klein. And they couldn't sell the $100 tickets to the one-to-one, -one, I think we were $121 tickets to the concert. Nobody wanted them. They were too much money. So he was giving them away. So we got two of those tickets, wow. ran back in, and those seats had tambourines on them. You see some of them with the tambourines. So we grabbed those, and then Ron set up his tripod. We got a great sound. And Ron, with the tripod, was able to capture Hound Dog by John Lennon. And that was really, really cool. And uh, the cool thing about John at this moment, think about this, you know, Two full concerts of his time, energy, effort, um, it, for money to raise money uh, for the children of that hospital, of the Willowbrook Hospital. It, you know, it should be really highlighted about that. And then, you know, in September, and I'll go back to the one-to-one -one for a second. In September, he came back and played at the Jerry Lewis Telethon, once again to raise money for the kids. So that's a big part of that uh, month and a half. And I hope when after they ever put the one-to-one -one benefit concert out with all the rehearsals and the concert that they add on that uh, benefit to the, to the children, that was so great. The other thing was about that concert, listen to the radio broadcast of it versus the television broadcast. The Imagine on the radio broadcast is completely, I'm not gonna say a different track because I don't know the flubbery, but it's a, an amazing version of the song that if you were in radio or wanted to use it, use that version. Um, so then, okay, so then in the future now, I'm working at Capitol Records and uh, Laser, Pioneer Laser Disc is gonna put out the one-to-one -one, uh, concert. So we got together at Lincoln Center, got together, you know, Capitol Records, Pioneer Laser Disc. So there was a lot of money involved. And this brought out uh, Yoko, Sean, and Julian, and we all got to go in and experience it with them. 
And uh, for me to see the children who I got to be around, uh, see that was so amazing. And then I got to work with Yoko as she did the, uh, you know, like rock line, things of that nature. And uh, as an adult and now at Capitol and having met Yoko when I was young, I was now 10 years older and I had many experiences with her with the Lennon estate as time went on. You know, Men Love Avenue, I worked with her on and um, Happy Christmas War is Over. We did that a couple of times, once for a radio station and once for a promo to raise money. So, you know, to get access to her, to get access to the Dakota, to go into that uh, was extraordinary. And the one thing I could say about the Dakota was you're going into a building that's like going onto the Titanic ship, but it's been really cared for, for over a hundred years. So you're going into this beautiful, beautiful place. And um, Yoko was more than kind to me all the times that I went, we had so much fun together. Wow. Mm. Great. Wow. Great stuff. Joe. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, Dave, I was wondering if you could talk about later on the time that you ran into John on the street, uh, mm-hmm. around the time of when he was going to oh, yeah. record again. Yeah, you know, he and, and um, went. You know, I think uh, you, you, you it was very about, you know, the extraordinary thing yeah. about New York is you'd always run into people. Um, uh, 57th Street for me, I'd run into Woody Allen uh, a lot. Everybody's going to the Russian Tea Room. And I was at Fontana de Trevi on 57th Street across from Carnegie Hall. And uh, it's a restaurant that was a Columbia Records hangout. Billy Joel, I think if you look this up, a lot of it had to do with the theme from an Italian restaurant there. Um, Aerosmith would always be in this restaurant. And uh, I was in this restaurant with Worthy Patterson, who was my mentor my whole career, lives a block away from me now. And uh, we were coming out. He said, Dave, there's your friend. (laughs) and there was John Lennon and you know your head swings in slow motion and so I'm out the front door there's John and my head is turning and there's Carnegie Hall so this you know moment of with John and um, he was so warm and you know you don't look at it like right now I'd like to be able to say more like but he was alive so it wasn't anything different than I'll see him again and again and again and again, you know, but every time you captured his eye and you spoke uh, with me, it was, you know, it was a feeling for me to say I'm at Capitol Records, you know, I was bringing him into, you know, my world. And because uh, I thought I wanted to feel him out on this, you know, about Capitol, you know, because he, he was going to be on Geffen in a few months. And uh, I just wanted to feel him out, you know, because I had read before I joined Capitol how mad he was about the artwork that they kept doing to him and turning him down on ideas. And the time that I was there, I felt that as a fan, I couldn't break through this Beatle door in Capitol. And yet I didn't know because I wasn't told till later on that these were really sales records and weren't creative type projects and uh, that I was better suited for Capital to be out there promoting these newer bands and not be part of that Beatle world. So, um, you know, John didn't indicate uh, that at all, uh, you know, coming back uh, to Capital all. I felt I could touch on that, though, Joe, because, because when I was with Derek Taylor and with John, there was sort of this thing going on where Derek Taylor was the head of our UK division uh, for Warner Brothers. 
and I could tell he was biting on John, you know, to come to Capitol Records. It may, maybe John mentioned it in one of his books, not to Capitol, to Warner Brother Records. And um, in a sense, he was saying, this is Dave, our New York guy. He's not one of these older uh, Pete Bennett guys, you know, ripping you off. You know, this kid is involved. He knows about Little Feet and the Meters and Randy Newman. And this is the new scene. And the DJs are all FM guys Dave hangs out with. So, um, you know, he hadn't, he, he didn't end up signing with Warners. Of course, what blew my mind was George Harrison. <laughs> Derek got George to come over. So um, looking back now, yeah, it was a marvelous uh, time. You know, when you leave somebody like that, you just honestly, it's like, it's like when we hang up tonight, it's like when, like when I think when was the last time I saw Kit? Was it the last time I saw Kit? And you, you say goodbye and you touch arms and you go. So that's really all I can give you on that one. I hope I answered your question. Oh, yeah, no, very interesting. Yeah. You know, it is kind of amazing, though, uh, not to interrupt her, but just how it seemed like how comfortable he was in New York, just to, you know, walk around, like you said, and then just to see him. And then, you know, you know, and not a lot of people recognizing him, I think, from what you said in the book, too. I mean, it's just how freely he felt in New York, like it was just like, you know, no big deal. You know, the fascinating thing is I get older. Um, you know, I was a promotion man and I loved the British bands and all the clothing they wore and the accents and how great they played. I'm talking about, you know, the faces and um, the Rolling Stones and, and I, just too many to start thinking about. Now, Badfinger I worked with and I would always be the type of kid that said, hey, English fellas that look great. I love you records. I love you guys so much. I can't believe I have a poster of you on my wall. Look, there's this big fish tank full of cash. I'm going to hold the ladder. You guys go up and grab all you can. Meanwhile, I didn't get anything. And these guys are filling up their pockets. And so you go out of your way for all of these guys. You bring them to the record shops. You bring them to the clothing shops. But the older you get, you realize that, you know, I grew up. I got to be in that uh, neighborhood. I got to be that American dream, wearing the American dungarees, going to the American streets and doing that. And they didn't. So with John, he really embraced that scene. He braced the, the modern part of it. He, he loved the village, the bicycle around there. And uh, it's true that he, you know, being a Beatle, he could disguise himself in a way that could shoot through. Plus, New Yorkers are, are, are in a sense that even uh, no matter how famous it is, you brush by and it's one of these. There goes Woody Allen. <laughs> now, you, now you can either like say, wow, that's him. And then say, wow, okay, and keep moving. Or you, you don't run back. So um, very few people are like us <laughs> that would have to run back or, or have something for them. I was so insane, Tom, that um, whenever I saw a limousine, I was a New York promotion man. Whenever I saw a limousine, it was every block. I wouldn't leave until I could tell if they were going to open the door, somebody was coming or going, because I always felt one of the Beatles could come out. And I'd miss it. So I stood, I wasted half my life in New York City watching limousine doors open with people I knew, could care less about, thinking it was one of the Beatles. So um, once I met all of the Beatles, I never had to look at the limousine doors open again. I, I figured, you know, it, it's your turn now. Oh, it's great. Ken, how about you? Okay. Uh, well, I'd like to touch upon, because you were uh, talking about developing a friendship with Yoko and all. Um, how different was it to work albums like Live in New York City and Men Love Avenue? Because this is 1986 we're talking about. They both came out the same year. 
as compared to Milk and Honey, which came out two years prior, that's all new music nobody heard before from Milk and Honey. And now you've got archival stuff coming out, like, you know, the one-to-one concert in Men Love Avenue. We did a show here on Men Love Avenue, and we were talking about, gee, you know, here we go again. Why wasn't that a hit? Why wasn't Rock and Roll People a hit? You had the experience of trying to work that album. What, what did you go through uh, when you talked to people at radio? A couple of interesting uh, thoughts. When you're young, I met Yoko in 71. I wasn't, I mean, wasn't 20 years old. And she was an intellectual woman, older, an artist who played at Carnegie Hall, internationally known. I mean, I was way out of line. I was way out of my world. And this was a woman like Albert Einstein, you know, in, in this crazy art world. Uh, new artist names that I, I could never even repeat if she said them to me. Fast forward to uh, when we lose John. Um, the interesting thing for me was going to her home and w- walking in representing Capitol. This was a big moment for many reasons. That I was chosen to do this. I was just a local promotion guy. You would think that a vice president would go in. You would think that a president would go in to speak to uh, Yoko. I knew when we signed Paul that anything Paul did, it'd be a posse going to a radio station. It'd be a posse backstage. Mm. Uh, That's why I say I was lucky with Ron Weisner to cut through that and be there. So with Yoko, ten years now that John's passed, and I'm a professional representing capital. My head's on straight. My thoughts are on straight. My, my goals are set up what I need to, for her to hear clearly and what we need clearly. And don't dilly, dilly-dally this thing. And what really hit me was now you're talking to her as the person who's in charge and you really realize she, she doesn't know much. She doesn't know what's there and what it all means. It's too much. You know, all these, like you said, all these new titles and you Mm. figure in her life, you know, they ran by rock and roll people that fell off, move over Ms. L, you know, I don't, you know, that thing flew out. Um, So I don't think there, I I, I think it was, let's do something with these tapes we own, you know, capital paid for, let's see what we can put up with it. But there was no expectations. And um, in my world, you know, going to radio, I thought, hey, can you imagine Here I Go Again by John Lennon, written with John and Phil Spector on this, uh, you know, Outtakes album, Dave, Dave Mr. Like promoting it, this is going to be number one everywhere. And it just didn't hit. It, it, you know, it didn't perk up the ears and it didn't go any better than a, a B-side or album cuts. And at the time, it wasn't uh, strong enough without John uh, being there doing anything with this for the radio stations to want to take a three months heavy rotation and make it this iconic record. It was like, Dave, we'll play it. Can we get Yoko to come up? Um, he's, he's not with us anymore. These are studio outtakes. They weren't, you know, it, it got that kind of a greeting, which was mm-hmm. disappointing to me, but I had experienced this kind of fair when Elvis Presley was alive. I loved Elvis, I didn't, I'm not that, we talked about that, I don't want to be clear about that, but I got to bring the Elvis album, and it was falling on deaf ears. I would bring Badfinger albums that I loved to NEW, they would fall. But Mike McGear, which was a Paul McCartney solo album, terrific, the man who found God on the moon, practically a Paul yeah. record, it fell down. So, um, 
these that one fell down on the uh one-to-one -one, we did come together as the single it's okay to move on to the one-to-one -one. and yeah. we did the big event we did the laser disc uh thing which is a lot of money yoko gave her whole soul to that but i think um live recordings uh not to me as a fan and not to you ken but to radio, uh, it doesn't add up to me. You know, didn't like to play live recordings. Even the Beatles live at the Hollywood Bowl didn't get great play when it came out at all. Mm. Uh, a lot of the Paul live albums, very, you know, terrific, didn't get played live at all. So there was this, uh, radio doesn't correspond closely to cover versions or to live albums. And I like both by big artists. So um, we, we, you know, we put it in the system. Yoko did all that she wanted to do. Capital got behind it, and um, I would say out of the success, of course, the most we had was in New York, and maybe that uh, live in New York City, one song come together wouldn't play well in Minneapolis or Colorado or something. Yeah, it's kind of strange to me because nobody told me had been a hit two years before that, only two years, so maybe they could play off of that, it could bounce off that, but it just didn't work out that way. Didn't you tell me that you were responsible for Angel Baby being on Men Love Avenue? Yeah, well, on Men Love Avenue, um, you know, we were looking at different things to do. It was really strange because what really opened up that conversation with Yoko was uh, we were doing um, Happy Christmas Wars Over. Hmm. And it felt terrible to think that the people that came to us to want her to work with that didn't want to put Listen to Snow is Falling on the back. I mean, what a slap. Hmm. And yet... I loved it. I, I thought it was the best song. thing she had ever done. Yeah. You know, I thought it was a really great record. So um, it's funny when I would approach Yoko about um, the songs um, and ideas, if to just clarify it, we'd say, let's roll with, uh, you know, a, a, a special piece to get people's attention, just like Ken's talking about, thinking uh, like Ken, what more can I bring uh, to the table, it's new, interesting, exciting that people haven't heard before when you've got all these dozen tracks uh, Ken's talking about. <clears throat> and the unusual swing was, I'm in the Dakota, and uh, I said, geez, we'd love to use Just Because, or um, Angel Baby. And she goes, oh, I'll go get it. And so I was in the uh, studio one uh, alone with George or uh, Helen who were there. And Yoko leaves. And she comes back and I'm thinking, what, do they have a studio here that I don't know about? A real studio one with tapes and, uh, you know. And she came out and she had an album in her hand. And she had the Roots bootleg album. And she said, take it off of this. <laughs> and I said, that thing's a cassette, you know, with a bad uh, needle drop. Let, let, let just let's call record plan and, and okay it. Uh, I've learned since, and I don't talk about it because I don't want to get into this personal stuff, but I think they had trouble with the bill over record plant and uh, hit factory and there was some kind of thing going on there and so maybe she didn't want to think i could just call and get what i wanted um i should have said how about just signing this paper i'll head down there myself you know, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. you know but working with her uh, <clears throat> and feeling uh, her comfort with me because um when you're with an artist like her you have talking points and you're going to be with Yoko tonight, just talk about this. So she doesn't want to talk about meeting John. She doesn't want to sign old Beatle album. You know, stay on the talking points. And so uh, we did that quite often and did so many things together. That I was so fortunate she would put me on her Christmas card mailing list. Mm. You know, so it was really wonderful. Uh, 
that relationship so so much. I never dreamed I'd, I'd grow up and, and you know, work, be in the Dakota and get to work with her over a John Lennon project. You've had a dream life. I, <laughs> sure it could have happened, happened to any of us. It could have happened oh. to any of us. Oh, wow. I was a me. little bit older than <laughs> You know, that's funny. Every People who read my books or get to know me now um, say, Dave, everything about you I can identify with. Um, and I did those things, but I just wasn't in New York City. I didn't have the access uh, to New York. And um, I could understand that. But... Uh, when I met George at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I stopped really, uh, I, I, that was the end. That was the complete end of looking for a Beatle, trying to get a, my point. I was completely done, um, except hoping to get George to sign a butcher cover in the future. So then I really stepped away, concentrated in the music business for another, you know, I ended up 40 years in the record business. It was only when um, I got the idea about this, going through folders and files, that I called up Ron Fermanek, who I hadn't spoken to since 1975, and said, hey, I'm moving forward with this book and I'm gonna be writing about you. I just didn't want you to sue me or, th or think anything about this other than you and I had this wonderful time together. And he said, oh, best of luck. Anything I could do, let me know. And that put me on my journey uh, that brought me in front of you today. Oh, wow. Well, before, because uh, I know we're, we're get running short on time, and I know you've, you, we've yeah, don't let me uh, worked again. so many. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. We, we loved hearing your stories. But I just wanted, to, before we go, because I just wanted to be sure that uh, people saw some of these wonderful pictures uh, that, uh, that you so uh, kindly mm. uh, lent to us. So um, some of these you've already talked a little bit about. Yeah, this but, I'm wearing um, a beetle. You can see I'm wearing a beetle butcher cover. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and you know if you look at see this one that was one of the better ones because if you look that's a two two color the red on the top mm. and the black so that took a lot of effort compared to just this red one wow but, so that was cool that was taken uh uh right during the the, the, the uh, telethon the john lennon uh, uh jerry lewis telethon september 72 that picture wow, wow. oh my gosh yeah i mean i yeah that's that's certainly a picture I've, I've certainly never seen before and that's next amazing. time you have me on i'm carrying a book in my hand there with the binder with the with the gold things yeah and all of my pictures that i i, I took of the the beatles john lennon uh, and i'd love to show you i got the book out in the back there oh nice wow. nice yeah oh. that i that i took of the, the madison square garden when he did hound dog at the late show that's how close we were sitting and, um, you know, like I said, we do have a film of that song with a tripod, perfect. And uh, two things, trying to get with Yoko and, and uh, as they were putting together this one-to-one -one, uh, deluxe thing that they talked about years ago now that never happened. So we thought, how can we get involved and, and, and show some things? And we thought if we can't, uh, and Yoko's getting on an age, let's say she doesn't do a lot of PR work. Let them go forward with that, and then we'll come up with a fan's uh, view of this day with pictures, tapes, these photographs, the crazy story with the T-shirts, and, and more uh, that we could contribute a nice fan view of this uh, wonderful day. Wow, very nice, and we already that's, talked yeah, about the that. Bag. Oh, that, that's a page from the book. Mm -hmm. You can see all my pictures lined up there. I just got to get them out, get the negatives, put them through the processor. But, you know, when you saw the, this picture over here uh, with, with the New York Times was on the not my picture, but the exact same picture, kind of, is on the front page of the New York Times the next day. 
and you see all these important uh, microphones, NBC, ABC, and then you see a little toy Lafayette tape recorder <laughs> microphone <laughs> stuck in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Now here, this is the rock and roll. You see the Beatles upside down behind John? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. This, was, this yeah. was the studio when he was promoting, uh, and this is Scott Muni. So, um, you know, my job took me to the same studio just a different day, which is the next picture. Got Dennis Elsus in there. Oh, oh that's oh, not sorry. it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. No problem. Uh, this picture okay. I'll tell you about is uh, quickly when I went to John's uh, apartment when he played when we showed him the uh, the Coliseum movie and he played us "How Do You Do It." Um, when it was done, uh, he said, "Come on!" And imagine John Lennon. He had to step step out the window to go on this uh, patio. And he says, uh, hold my hand. I'm thinking, yeah, I want to hold your hand. He goes, hold my hand. And I'm holding John Lennon's hand. He's pulling me out the wi this window onto this patio. You think they have a door. And, he, and he, he did exactly what that drawing is. Showed We were right by that building. And he pointed exactly like that. And, and, and there's May. So being with him, like yeah, maybe 15 days later, and in his house and on that patio, you can imagine how animated he was to me and Derek Taylor. <laughs> about what you're looking at in that picture. Wow. So this is when they saw the UFO, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, yeah, let me tell you something. You, I looked at him like, you're nuts. I, I, I didn't believe him, you know, and I couldn't stand myself standing there with John Lennon saying, he's full of it. What is he talking about? <laughs> you know, I'm not buying in that there's a flying saucer here. And it was so terrible mentally what I went through. <laughs> you better buy into it if, with you with John, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I believe you. But I think May, May uh, also said she saw it, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Here we are when we went out. To, I, I did that for Kit because in the book I talk about that car in the background. Yeah. Uh, I rented that car for the for the John Lennon star on Hollywood Boulevard, and it was such a hoot to have that old car and people beeping at us and you know, uh, being part of that. And of course, Yoko flew out that, to that. Uh, yeah, and then the horn that wouldn't, was that the That's car, right. The horn yeah. Oh my wouldn't God. Wouldn't stop honking. Oh my God. It was <laughs> next, so funny. Next time you come on, you've got to talk, tell the story of the car. It, the car. it really yeah. has nothing to do with, sure. with John or the, but, <laughs> but I mean, it's hilarious. Best, I, when, I'm telling you, I told Dave, when I read this, I was sitting in the yard <laughs> in my, my chaise lounge. I fell off, almost fell off the chaise lounge. Thank you. The Thank funniest you. thing I I ever read. I, I'm sorry, Dave, but it was the funniest <laughs> thing I'd ever read. It was Thank you like, so much. It could have been a sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. There's the one to one uh, premiere in New York City wow. at Lincoln Center. Amazing. Yoko Scott Muni. Uh, look yeah. at how young Julian looks. Unbelievable. Yeah. Mm. Sean being a little toddler. It's it was unbelievable. Yeah. So lovely. What a lovely family. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Look at my eyes. I'm just plugged into pure. They caught it. You know, they caught this energy of like, I can't mm. believe it. Look at the yeah. Paul. Every time, you know, you look at him, you just think he's going to sing to you. Mm. And, um, you know, he wakes up wanting to meet people. Um, absolutely everything you and I ever dreamt of when you meet, uh, and I don't want to say nobody here did or didn't, but he's a lovely guy and everything you ever dreamed of. And Dave, I just want to say, you know, being from the New York area, that was the first time I got to see a Beatle, but I saw him 
on the outside of the glass of Radio City Music Hall. He went up to the doors for everybody and all the fans were there and he was going doing his thumbs up and waving, looking mm. excited like that. I was uh, I was on cloud nine just by that. So I can imagine how you felt there inside. Yes, yes. And Joe, I wish I had known you. I, I wish I had known you. <laughs> it's, it's not what you know, it's who you know. You know right? <laughs> yeah, Very lovely, good. Very lovely good. Lovely shot with uh, Linda, yeah. uh, who was so, so, so down to earth, to, you know, completely down to earth. There was nothing starstruck about her. Mm. I loved her. Yeah, that you know, I brought a I brought a Polaroid camera. I needed instant gratification. I couldn't wait uh, twenty four hours till the pictures came back, and I have a picture I could send it to you that Paul took of me and Linda. Um, he took the camera, and took a picture, and by the way, when he came with that green sweater, the next day I went out looking for a green sweater just like that. <laughs> but you know, could never find Beetle clothes, and I never did. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That was 76, uh, and I, that's a nice, I was able to get some nice shots. But I, I, since Joe's from New York and Ken, I want to tell you a quick story. So I went to all the shows at the Garden for Paul's um, Wings Over America, and I had great tickets, as you could see, when I took that photograph. But one of the nights, um, my, I, I was telling a DJ at WABC, Steve O'Brien. I know how you guys know WABC so well. So Steve O'Brien is with me and I said, oh, I'm gonna get tickets for this. And he held my arm down really hard. And he says, I've got tickets for the Friday night show. D don't try to get those. I said, what? He goes, yes, I'm getting four tickets and I've got two stewardesses and um, we're going. I said, I got a girlfriend. He goes, no, no, don't worry about it. I got the two pigeon sisters and me and you, we're going. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> but Steve was one of these guys that would hang you up for the most expensive restaurant in town on your dime. That was his schmooze. You know, he loved that. So, you know, he picks the most expensive, Maxwell's Plum, you know, this highbrow restaurant that costs a lot of money. And of course there was, you know, a, my boss was never going to say no to the bill because he was from WABC, but he was really taking us to the max, the champagne, the after drinks, stuff you never heard of, blah, blah, blah. So I kept saying, where's the tickets? Where's the tickets? He said, don't worry, I got this. I'm holding them. I said, okay, all right. So after all of this, and you see the seat where I was at in the picture I took, we get to the garden. I said, where's the tickets? He goes, just follow me. We finally are about to give the tickets over. He's two tickets are like in the sixth row from Capitol Records. I'm behind the stage. <laughs> you know, $500 dinner and I'm behind the stage. I could have done the nuts. I would have given the guy 500 and sat up front. So I, would, I was sitting there growling my teeth watching him in the sixth row while I was looking at Paul's back of his head. <laughs> he must have been laughing. <laughs> There you go. Oh, well, I wanted to make sure we wanted to make sure Thank everybody you. knows about all your books. These are all four um, in the uh, so far in the uh, Morell archives, um, and they're all incredible reads. Um, they're uh, Horse Doggin, uh, The Promotion Man, 1974, Promotion Man, New York City, uh, 45 RPM Recollections Per Minute, 1975 to 1980, and of course the one that uh, we talked about in the very beginning, uh, which is uh, Run Out Groove, uh, yes, that Tom is holding up, um, 1980 to 1990. So uh, they're all 
excellent reads. Uh, I recommend them all heartily. They are so much fun. Um, and we had so much fun. Um, <laughs> I mean, we could have gone on all night. So I think this means, Dave, that you, you have to come back. <laughs> I, I think I think that's Thank all you. what it means um, that that you have to come back and and tell us more stories and and um, I mean you know and, and I know you've got a lot more to to, to tell us. Well, thank you, Kit. Your enthusiasm's infectious. And Ken, I've, Ken and I must have done at least five hours already. Uh -huh. and I love Ken so much. And meeting uh, Joe this afternoon and Tom uh, has been my joy very, very much. I want to thank you all for having me on, letting me share my stories. I have such gratitude. Thank you very much. And thank, you for, thank, thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, and before, uh, before we go, uh, Ken, I forgot at the beginning as I was so, so excited <laughs> about Dave, I forgot about, you wanted to share a couple of pieces of news. So do you uh, I don't know if you, you really want me to follow all this with me. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, the Beatles ending Ed Sullivan, and then they've got uh, jugglers on at the end. Come on. It's like, it's like, the, Stone, it's like the Stones following no. Stevie Wonder. It's, yeah. It shouldn't happen. <laughs> you know, back if you want me to, I got just a couple things. Yeah. That's it? Sure. All right. Yeah. I'll yeah. do this real fast. Okay. Um, before I do this, I want to make mention of this, not to embarrass Dave. I want to make sure, because I've said this in other shows, not in this one, but at the very beginning of my career, after I did it a year and a half of doing my Beatles show on college radio, I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep doing it. I love doing my Beatles show, but I didn't even know where to go, who to send a tape to. And Dave recommended that I send a tape to WDHA in New Jersey. And it got my foot in the door with meeting the program director at the time, Mark Chernoff. Didn't guarantee me the job, but it got me the foot in the door. And, um, and then I spent 10 great years at that radio station, my favorite years on the radio at WDHA. And for that, I thank you, Dave. And for all my followers, bless you, you know. <laughs> There's a John Lennon song for you. <laughs> What's that? I was one of them. I yes. listen to you all the time. So I owe a lot to you. And so thank you so much. Thank you for saying that. Um, in, uh, in Beatle News, uh, Paul McCartney will be celebrating Rupert the Bear's 100th birthday. Paul had intentions of making a full-length feature film on the character of Rupert and even composed and recorded an entire soundtrack for the film. And in the end, we got an animated short, which came out in 1984. In some movie theaters, it was an extra treat that was played before Paul's film, Give My Regards to Broad Street. And from that short came the song, We All Stand Together which became a number two smash in the UK. The song has now been remastered at Abbey Road Studios by Alex Wharton, along with its B-side, an instrumental or humming version of the song. It's being reissued as a seven inch picture disc. Here's my original. <laughs> there you go. I have one somewhere. Yeah. There you yeah. go. And, and that's Tom. the only one I'm gonna have. Well, this is a good time to, to tell Dave. Dave, I like and bought Spies Like Us. I love the song. It's in my top three of songs I'd like to see Paul do live that he's never Absolutely. done live before. Yep. I, I think it would work really well live as, you know, as you a live song. You can have Dan Aykroyd come out. Yep. And Chevy Chase. Yeah. Okay. Uh, also, that comes with a poster. 
Um, in addition, the animated short Rupert and the Frog Song has been restored in 4K, as well as getting a new audio mix. Paul was listed as a producer and writer, while Jeff Dunbar was the director. The film was made in the pre-digital age, all handcrafted. And in the past year, a restoration process has taken place for the film to be regarded and restored frame by frame. And Jeff Dunbar says he's totally blown away by the film and the sound quality. We'll be able to watch this when it debuts on YouTube, which will be on November the 6th. And also just want to remind everybody uh, that the compilation of Give Me Some Truth is coming out on John's birthday this uh, coming Friday, 36 tracks from John's solo career, handpicked by Sean and Yoko and remixed. And speaking of Sean, if you happen to have missed the BBC Radio 2 radio specials on John Lennon, including the uh, two-part series hosted by Sean interviewing Paul McCartney, Julian Lennon, and Elton John, uh, they will remain on their website to stream for the next 28 days. This also includes a two-hour special called John Lennon Live at the BBC. You can just go to bbc.co.uk. All right? Right. Shortest newscast I've ever done on this show. Right. I'm going to make this a, a tad longer. I just want to say that, uh, give me some truth, going back to what we were talking about, Angel Baby's going to be on there. And I'm really curious to hear the, re the remix of that, to hear if it's going to sound with John's voice a little more up front on that. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Mm. Yep. We shall see. By the way, since you mentioned this, Dave, you mentioned Howard Smith. I've got this baby right here. This was a box set that came out in 2014. Mm -hmm. It's called I'm Not the Beatles. And it's yes, got I all of that. John and Yoko's interviews on Howard Smith. Yep. I think it was, I've got I that. I think it was limited edition. I don't believe yes. there's any copies that remain, but it's quite a find. Cool. It is. It's really interesting. Yep. So, I, I think I reviewed it. I'll, I'll send you my review. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yep, absolutely. All right. So, uh, so before we go, uh, let's go around and say where everybody uh, can be found. So, Dave, since you're our guest, uh, you can go first. Where sure. if people want to get a hold of you or want to find you, where can they? Uh, where can Please, they find you? Uh, Dave Morell in my uh, email. Dave Morell one at number one. Dave Morell one at mac.com. Love to hear from everybody. Anything I could do for you, and I look forward to coming back. Thanks Absolutely. Again, anytime. 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 Anytime at all. Anytime at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's another thing you'll learn about our show. We we, we love bad beetle puns, <laughs> solo puns. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Tom, how about you? Yeah, thank you. Uh really busy. Um, as you know, Two Legs is now a weekly show. We just posted our interview with the off-the-ground co-producer Julian Mendelssohn. He had a lot of great stories, talked about his, his, his work in the 70s and the 80s, and of course working with Paul during the off-the-ground sessions. And then this Saturday we, we have our interview with Lawrence Juber, which is also just as amazing as, as, as always. He gives such great interviews and gave us, he was very uh, generous with his time. So that's coming this weekend. You can reach us at twolegspodcast at gmail.com. We now have our website up now too. That's uh, twolegspodcast.com where you can find our shows as well. 
And, um, and geez, that's it. And we also, a couple weeks ago, we had part two of our uh, collaboration with the, with the guys at Things We Said Today, Mr. Uh, Ken Michaels and Darren DeVivo. So that was a lot of fun. And we just talked about things that we would like to see uh, released from the vaults, uh, from the, the Beatles and the, the McCartney camp. So a lot of stuff coming. You know, like I said, we're weekly now, and uh, it's just a nonstop machine, like uh, Ken Michaels said it would be. <laughs> There you go. Once you start, you can't stop. That's right. That's right. Joe, how about you? You can uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Mean Mr. Mayo. And I just was on a show with Ethan Alexanian. Hello, Ethan. His Fans on the Run show. I finally got my uh, interview up there. And I recently did uh, a stint on uh, the two legs of uh, Tom Mm Magnotti here and Andy Nichols talking about off the ground with them. And it was a real blast. So that's the, the two latest shows I've done. Awesome. Mm. All right. Um, as uh, for me, as always, you can find me at uh, kiddotool.com. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, next week, I'm going to be uh, teaching the Tuesday Night Virtual Record Club uh, with Ken Womack, and we're going to be talking about Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life. Really excited about it. Uh, yeah, there you go, David. You should join us. I'll send you the link. It's uh, it's free, and uh, uh, and I'll post the link on um, on our Facebook page. And uh, it's uh, we're gonna go not every track, but as many as we can get to, and take you through the making of the album. And it's it's just going to be an absolute blast. So mm. uh, and. You can find Talk More Talk. Um, you can email us, uh, talkmoresolotalk at gmail.com. We have a website now, as I've said, we're, we're really professional now at <laughs> talkmoretalk.com. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at talkmoretalk1. Um, and uh, of course, you can find us on Facebook uh, and uh, check out our YouTube channel and uh, go ahead and subscribe. We're trying to get those subscribers up. So go ahead and uh, hit that subscribe button. Um, Ken, how about you? Okay. On my website, KenMichaelsRadio.com, I'm doing a special contest, which starts tomorrow. I have two copies to give away of the new CD of this John Lennon tribute CD from Gem Records. Gem celebrates John Lennon, people like the Weaklings, Jonathan Pushkar, uh, the Anderson Council, all great covers of uh, John's Beatle and solo Beatle material. You can win the CD and this t-shirt. Of course, you'll look much better. Kit looks much better in it than I do. But if you'd like to win the CD and T-shirt, there's a contest that starts tomorrow on the is website. It the, uh, is it the shirt that you're wearing? Is that the one they get to win? That's or, the uh... one. That's right. <laughs> oh, used. Yeah. I was there almost going to wear it tonight, but I'm not quite there yet. Oh. <laughs> nice. Also, also on my website, on my trivia page, there's this book that you can win, Dave Morrell's book. Oh, there you go. That's going to be part of a special contest coming up in a few weeks to win that book as well. Run out groove. Thank you. And um, the trivia question for this week, obviously, is going to be a John Lennon trivia question, which will be posted about five minutes after this show ends. (laughs) Okay, and next week we're going to have on Things We Said Today, Ken Womack as a special guest to talk about his new book. He's also going to be on our show in two weeks. Uh, John Lennon, 1980. Here's all my notes here. (laughs) Uh, The Last Days in the Life. Okay, so he'll be on the show next week. That'll be posted the end of next week. 
So, so there's a lot going on. Yeah. He's getting a lot of attention, especially for finding out the baseball movie that John Lennon was uh, watching that uh, inspired the whole double fantasy. You know, That's right. Well, it, it inspired Grow Old With Me. Yeah. Okay. Old. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, because Yoko had already written Let Me Count the Ways and right, told John, right. John about that over the phone. And around mm -hmm. that time, mm -hmm. he yeah. watched that movie. Right. And in the movie, there's a reference to the, uh, the Robert Browning poem right. yes. with Grow Old With Me on it. So, yeah, very nice yep. uh, digging there, Ken. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yep. So, yep, we're going to have him on the next show, October 13th. So, uh, so we will see you then. And, uh, it'll be a great show. It'll be the fa Fab Five reunited. So, um, and so I'm uh, not to put you on the spot, Dave, but I'm actually going to have you um, say the, the last sign off. And I'm, uh, I'll, after I say goodbye uh, for all of us, I'm going to have you say what you always say when the way you sign off your emails. I think you know what, you're, what I'm talking about. So, uh, okay. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. I think I, I speak for all of us when I say this was a very, very special night. And, uh, and thank you to Dave Morrell for helping us celebrate John Lennon's 80th. I think this is, uh, this is a show we will not soon forget. And we hope you'll come back um, for, you know, for another show. Absolutely. So, mm -hmm. for you, Dave. absolutely, Thank play you, loud Dave. and have fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom for Tom Anyadi, Dave Morell, Mean Mr. Mayo, and Ken Michaels. This is Kid O'Toole saying, "Play loud, have fun." See you guys. Good night, everybody. Good night. Talk.